Welcome to Enthusiastic Witter. I'm Christopher. And I'm Cody. And in this episode, we're going to talk about planning to build a strip canoe, taekwondo, and how our lives have changed since the COVID-19 pandemic. podcast enthusiastic witter and witter is defined as pointless babble or chatter which is what we figure our conversations sound like to most outside listeners but hey we're usually pretty enthusiastic about whatever it is we're talking about we are two hobby filmmakers slash photographers we enjoy working on a lot of various random projects from uh, 3d modeling to uh, short making short films to uh, recording music uh, to woodworking to computer programming we're pretty much interested in everything uh, it's just a matter of finding enough time to learn about the topic and uh, actually get good at it so um, we're both uh, very interested in a lot of the same things so we just decided to create a podcast and talk about uh, talk about what we've learned and I guess compare notes on uh, things that we've been learning lately and help each other get interested in new things that we haven't necessarily thought of so we were uh, greatly inspired by uh, two of our favorite podcasts, the No Dumb Questions podcast with uh, Destin Sandlin of Smarter Every Day and uh, Matt Whitman of the 10-Minute Bible Hour, and the InnerTube podcast with Kevin McCreary of Say Goodnight Kevin and Josh Taylor of Blimey Cow. So this episode will probably have a, a similar conversational feel to those, and uh, we're just going to keep going until we kind of find our own voice. Several years ago, your dad said that we should start a podcast because he was listening to us arguing about camera stuff in the back seat, and I was like, "Yeah, that's a good idea." And then you I were like, "I don't know, I don't know," and you never wanted to do it. And I think I finally wore you down enough that we finally, <laughs> finally recorded one. So, uh, what you been working on lately? Well, let's see. Oh, um. Did I tell you about the Star Trails, or not the Star Trails, the meteors from last night? You just sent uh, a little email about them. And then okay, yeah, so well. basically basically, I, I set up the camera outside. I just did like a normal time lapse. I wasn't trying to, uh, you know, like actually see this the, the meteors moving. I just set, up, set it up like a normal Star Trails with like 30 second exposures. Um, I used this handy little app on my phone that like lets me line up the screen to the sky so that it, it like shows me the the names of the stars and stuff and um it let me find where in the sky i was supposed to point my camera for like yeah, where the meteor shower was is, supposed to be is that starwalk uh because i have there an app was, called starwalk like that's similar i just grabbed whichever was free um, it's like called Constellation something. Okay, because I'll have to. But check uh, it out. the app is nice. Um, I think I kind of when I set it up, the uh, the point in the sky that I was targeting was still below the horizon or, or just coming above, and I mm. think I kind of underestimated um how far it would move based on the rotation. It wasn't coming straight up. Yeah. And so I think it kind of swung out of frame. So I will probably try again tonight if it's clear, but I don't know if it is or not. Yeah. Um, I think, it's, was it supposed to be in the west? 
Low into the west, was it? Uh, well, it depends. It depends if you're looking in the morning or the evening. It it's, it goes like east to west. Oh, okay. I thought it was going to appear for a little bit and then dip below the horizon or something like that. Because um, my mother told me about it. She always sends me when there's meteor showers. I always like to, when I'm sitting in my hot tub in the middle of winter, looking up and seeing shooting stars. And I always think I should be sitting on my camera right now and getting some star trails or whatever. But then the problem yeah. is I can't operate the camera and sit in the hot tub at the same time because the steam will fog up the lens. I think it would be really cool to have some kind of remote observatory set up where you could control everything from a computer inside mm-hmm. and be able to like have everything remote so that no matter the temperature or the conditions or a- anything like that, you could just operate it from inside. It'd be awesome. I think like it'd be fully cool. remote. I think it would be cool to have a... a and if you did this with just one camera it would be super cool but if you had a bunch of them pointed at the sky and then you could stitch it all together at the end and then just take a picture like every 10 minutes or whatever for the entire year and then you could just at any point in the year you could look at any point in the sky except that of course clouds would interfere with you and and having that many cameras running for an entire year taking a photo every 10 minutes would be ridiculous but even if you could just do like every hour and just see how a particular star moves or something like that throughout the year it would be really cool yeah that makes me think of just like the time lapses they do with buildings being built like have you seen those yeah those are pretty cool it'd be neat to do that for like on like a really large time scale like once you like you know have your own house and property and whatever and settle down in a place you think you'll be for like the next 10 years like that'd just be cool like set up and like see how your property changes over the next 10 years yeah i'm sure there'll be all kinds of issues with the camera it would just stop working (laughs) at some point but uh, yeah yeah, you you need like a really durable setup coming in from the start something that wouldn't like you wouldn't need to change so it doesn't get messed up the thing i like about um magic lantern is that it has the uh, ghost image option so if you wanted to go back like once a year and take a picture of the same spot, you could uh, bring it up and realign everything, like the corners of your house oh, yeah. or whatever. I always think that'd be fun, but of course I've never actually gotten around to doing it. Really, if like if there isn't anything too close in the foreground, if you just can mark the spot with like a stake or something in the ground, then yeah. that should work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a matter of like if you got your tripod legs, you could put marks where each one goes, and then if you could just try to put you know, a certain spot of the image in the same place mm-hmm. in your viewfinder every time. It'd get pretty close. So I, and uh, what, should, <laughs> what should we call our uh, non-existent listeners? We can't call them the third chair because that's been taken by uh, Notum Questions. And I'd like to call them the listeners, but I don't think we have listeners. I think it's just, just us. Except for someday when we're super famous, there'll be millions of people listening back on these episodes. Yeah. Well, anyway, to explain to our non-existent listeners, uh, I work at a shipping facility, and there's lots of heavy equipment and stuff, and uh, I like to wear earplugs because it's so loud. And I would really like to wear wireless earbuds just to listen to my own music, but I, I think... They're probably not allowed. I've never seen it written or never heard anybody say that they're not allowed, but I've never actually seen anybody wearing them, so I'm assuming they're not allowed. 
but I haven't been told that they're not allowed. So what I ended up doing is got a pair of wireless earbuds at Menards on Black Friday sale for $5 for the pair. So I took them apart and made a custom earplug uh, using silicone. Do you remember seeing that uh, King of Random video all those years ago? Um, about uh, mixing silicone and... Um, uh, what's this stuff called? Um, cornstarch. Are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Okay, because I clicked something and now you're frozen. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, so you mix, uh, you get uh, like a tube of silicone that you would use for sealing up windows or whatever, and you mix mm -hmm. cornstarch and food coloring with it, which I would think wouldn't work. It sounds <laughs> sounds ridiculous. But the uh, food coloring, apparently the water in the food coloring activates the silicone so it hardens faster. And then the food, or the cornstarch, mixes with it and makes it more of a like a silicone foam almost it's still really dense but it's not as rubbery as uh, regular silicone mm -hmm. and so i don't know if you can see this on the camera but this is the little piece that i made oh wow that's and so cool originally i uh, actually got some my mother helped somebody do a cast once of uh, some hands and they use this stuff called alginate that you mix with water it's like it ends up being this real soft gelatin-like uh, plaster. So I made a, uh, took a, a, a soda cup from a restaurant and cut the bottom off to make a little ring to go around my ear. And I just pressed it on real tight and I mixed up the alginate. And the stuff, the, the thing is the alginate cures in like five minutes. So you got to be real fast about it. So I stuck a bit of cotton in the bottom of my ear and then uh, poured the alginate in. So I had to hold my head sideways pour the alginate in my ear which feels super weird pouring plaster down your ear and i had to try to make sure it got all the way in there and filled in without uh, leaving any air bubbles and uh ended up making a negative of my ear and i just laid down on my side and let it cure for like 10 minutes to make sure that it was actually cured and then i just pulled it off and it just kind of came off just like that oh my goodness and, wow uh, so then i had a negative of my ear so then i just built a little i used the same cup and built a little dam around the top and filled it in with plaster of paris and made this cast of my ear if if that's not blown out for you whoa so now wow have, that's super realistic looking yeah, it's it's super weird looking at your own ears from the side <laughs> my ears are a lot smaller than i thought they were especially the inner parts um so I made one of each side. I figured, you know, I only need the right side, but as long as I'm at it, might as well make one for each side. And that way, if later on when, uh, you know, if I want to make uh, prosthetics or something for a movie that I'm making, <laughs> like uh, some kind of weird ears or whatever, I've got the uh, positives there that I can just build silicone on top of and make whatever I want. But uh, it ended up that these um, Plaster Paris positives being that they're so stiff don't work good for casting stuff in because i wanted to just cast the uh, silicone in here so that way uh -huh. i can you know work with it and i can actually see it from the outside and that would give me a way to hold on to it but uh i tried putting like some earbuds in there and they don't go because they're not flexible at all that the cast is not flexible oh. so that didn't work so i made this silicone stuff um like i said that you know from the king of randoms recipe i made the silicone and then i just uh, rolled out a little point on the tip so that it could go in my ear, and then I just smushed it in and then just held my hand against my ear while it cured for about five minutes. And I got a, a nice little uh, perfect uh, cast of my ear. 
And the first one that I did fit perfectly, and I used it as an earplug, and it worked great. And but uh, it was just a test; it didn't fill in. You know, it wasn't as big as I needed it to be to fit the circuitry inside of. So I made a bunch more, and it took me forever to finally get another one that fit perfectly. I don't know why the first one fit great, and then after that, uh, <laughs> I had like eight or ten tries before I finally got another one that fit good. So I took my Dremel with a little wood carving bit and I had to hold it in my hand to feel if I was getting too close and I just hollowed out the whole inside of it so that I could fit this, the battery and uh, I got uh, some earbuds that had slightly smaller uh, speakers than the original wireless earbuds had so I replaced the speaker so it was a little smaller and then I had to fit the battery in there which is unbelievably large for how small the circuitry is and then the circuit board, so they they were trying to make them a mimic of the, uh, what are they called, AirPods, the Apple mm -hmm. version. And so they made that long piece that hangs down from your ear. So they made the circuit board long, and I wish they had made it a little bit shorter and wider. But, of course, they weren't designing it to work with my, uh, my hacks, so <laughs> I had to work with what I had. So I made it, it hangs over, you know, it it fits perfectly into that inner part of my ear and then hangs over a little bit, but it looks natural the way it fits into my ear. It doesn't look like there's hidden circuitry. Um, and I got everything to fit inside and then I put this, I guess, cap of the same material on and I held it on with silicone and then I went and shined a flashlight through so I could see where the circuitry was inside and kind of outlined it with a pencil so I could go back over and recarve everything so it was smaller but I mm -hmm. uh, ended up carving away some of that silicone inside, so now it looks real ugly on one edge, so i got to go. I'll probably take the, the silicone cap off and then just re uh, make, some, make some new stuff and just apply it directly to it rather than trying to bond it with clear silicone and recarve it. And then the on-off button, it's a button you push, and I need it kind of hidden, so that's a little bit of trouble because I, I want it so I can just press on the silicone, but I don't know if that'll work. I may have to leave a little hole where I can stick in like a paper clip or something or uh, find a way to attach a button that can stick out. The charging was a problem here because the little charger, charging port that they had was too big to fit in here. So I was thinking and thinking forever how I was going to do this, and I finally decided to put it in down the uh, the sound hole that goes from the speaker down into your ear which is unbelievably small. It's like four millimeters across or something inside when I drill the hole out. So I finally found a mechanical pencil that I have that has a plastic tube inside that was the right size. And then I got a, uh, a transformer for, you know, to like to step the voltage down for like a keyboard or something like that, that had a little plug on the end that had a little, it was a brass ring that was like nickel plated or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I cut that. So they're like two rings that are like four millimeters across and four millimeters long, and I stuck them inside this plastic tube separated by about a two millimeter gap. And then I had to solder the, the wires for the charging port onto there, onto each one. So they're separated, and so now i got to make some little contacts that'll fit up in there and attach to the original charger so I can charge this thing. So. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's what, that's what I've been working on for several weeks, and I've been coming up with ideas very slowly. So have you taken works. any any photos along the way to like to document it at all um not really i just i think i took that one that i sent to you of just the circuitry compared to a quarter just because of how small it was it would be cool if you could shine a light through one side 
and take a photo and see like the electronics in there. Yeah, that that would be kind of cool. I have my uh, super bright flashlight out there, and I was just holding it in my hand to mask the light off. So I had to try to mask it so the camera didn't get uh, blown out from the light. But yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I don't know if you so can have see you, it. Have you? Sorry, go ahead. I don't know if you can see the the uh, pencil outline or not on the camera. Not really. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's nice and small. I tried it out, and it works. Sounds good. So. Oh, that's saying? cool. That that was gonna be my question. Have you have you tried them out yet? Yeah, my one fear was that uh, the the uh, Bluetooth signal might not reach through the layers of silicone, but it works perfectly fine, no problems at all. So, wow, that's cool. Yep, that's what I've been working on lately. Um, and then I sent you the picture of the wood stove that I built out of a barrel. Yeah, I uh, took some scrap metal that I had laying around on the property when I bought it, and I had to cut out the whole frame for the door. I, uh, I guess you call it a bezel around the edge of the door frame, and then mm-hmm. cut out a section for the door. And then I, when I cut out the bezel, I cut out or the frame, I cut out the, the center section and used that to make the door twice as thick to kind of insulate a little bit better. And I ended up having to grind that down quite a bit because it fit too tight. The hinges weren't tight enough. Um, because the door wouldn't close like it would sit at a slight angle and so i had to grind that way back to make room for the welds and such and it was really rusty steel so i had a hard time welding it i had to do a lot of grinding and then i had to make the piece for the chimney on the top so i had to make a piece that was oval and curved to the curvature of the barrel and then uh, i had to make a round piece coming out the top for the stovepipe to sit on and then i built the whole leg structure out of a bed frame angle iron welded that together so that it's its own little rack and it sits by itself. Whereas like uh, the kits that you can buy or the one my ones my parents have, you actually bolt the legs on, and so then they're separate legs. So it's just a bunch more holes you got to drill when you swap barrels because the barrels only last a couple of years. So I made around mine. So you just set the new barrel on top. But I've found that when I open the door, it tends to rotate slowly over the course of a week just from that pressure lifting up on the latch. And so I think it might be good to put one bolt in just to keep it from trying to rotate a little bit. Okay. And I got Is to, that in your house? Yep. And uh, the I have to have, you know, while, well, before I have 20% of my loan paid off, I have to have insurance on the house. And it's a little bit more expensive to have a wood stove, but I think it's definitely worth it. It's going to save me a lot of propane, and uh, I think that uh, wood heat is just nicer. Mm-hmm. So I also help. saw your uh, your blacksmithing artwork there on the the door handle. Uh huh. I had to make a latch for the door, and I was just going to make it out of a, a cut piece of that same steel. But I decided uh, I had some real heavy metal rod around that I've been blacksmithing on, and uh, so I I isolated. That's the that's the technical term that blacksmiths use. <laughs> <laughs> isolated the end section and then drew it out into a long wire so that's all one piece uh well the the handle's made of two pieces there's the the latch piece and then there's an actual handle that sticks off of it and uh, they're attached by bolts so that it can turn um but so i drew out the end of it so it, was a, so it goes from a, being a real thick wire down to being a real thin wire and then i wrapped that wire back around itself and the idea was i was going to create kind of a little bit of space so that if the handle got hot the uh, the wire wrap wouldn't be as hot, but it it never actually heats up, so it's no big deal. It it's just wrapped straight around the 
the other wire, but it looks pretty cool. And then I had to make that yeah. stop for the latch when it swings down. So I decided to put a little uh, metal leaf on the end of that just to kind of spice it up a little bit, <laughs> make it look a little neater. <laughs> I, leaves are so cool. There's you yeah. know, millions of things you can make, but that's one of the beginning projects that, uh, that you can work on. So That's cool. So how long does it take to like make one of those leaves? Uh, for me, it takes probably <laughs> 20 minutes or so because okay. I had to keep That's reheating it. But, you know, the experts can do it in probably five or 10 minutes because they can get so much more done per heat. Whereas me, I'm just kind of tinking away at it while it's cooling down and then I got to reheat it. And whereas they can just, you know, do it in a couple of hammer blows, what it takes me a while to do because I got to be more careful about being accurate. What uh, what other projects you've been working on? Well, let's see. Um, I could talk about the Blender projects I did recently. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that because that's something I'd like to get into. Yeah. I actually um, actually, actually was putting some of the, the, uh, the images and animations I had made in a folder. If, uh, if you want me, I can send these in Skype maybe if you want to see these while I talk about them sure if you can get it to work um how do i in let's see how do i enlarge the skype window uh you may have to click or double click on it if it's like down in a corner or something oh double clicking works okay although i can't find uh can't find the chat Well, while you're looking for that, so, uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings films that are my favorite films mm -hmm. that I always rant about all the time because they're so great. Um, uh, they just, they're so well made and they, they follow the books so well, but, but the behind the scenes stuff that they did is just absolutely phenomenal. And they did a whole, I guess you could say documentary behind the scenes of making of the film. There's like like an hour of documentary for every hour of the actual movie. Like you can go and watch 12 plus hours of behind the scenes because the movies are 12 plus hours, the extended edition. Um, but uh, I was watching like the, with the technical team when they were talking about making uh, animations and stuff because they had to do, uh, you know, they tried to do as much practical effects as they could with mm -hmm. miniatures and things like that. But then some of the stuff they had to build as a 3D model in the computer. And they're talking about their water animations and how happy they were with how good they looked. And then you send <laughs> me this this water animation that you presumably whipped up over the weekend and it just looks flawless. <laughs> it's like, man, how things have changed since the, you know, 99 when they filmed the film. <laughs> Here you can make your own water animations at home now. It It did take like the entire night to render and that was only i think like i think it was three seconds and that was yeah. uh i think i was doing it 30 frames per second so only like 90 frames and it took almost all night <laughs> they would they were talking about how they would uh, do their their modeling work and then they'd set it to render overnight so that they could watch it the next morning and every <laughs> once in a while something wacky would happen like the uh the character's eyes would pop out of his head and they'd still be moving correctly. They were just displaced from where they were supposed to be. Or uh, they showed a, another <laughs> version where his hair just stood completely straight out in all directions. 
and just looked weird. Like they were like, yeah, we'd set it to render overnight, but some weird stuff happens sometimes. Yeah, I can I can attest to that. I've had some really strange <laughs> stuff happen, and uh, I actually have one of those weird things uh, that happened uh, in one of these animations that I'm about to send you. Did you ever animate that tiger, or was that just uh, still? I I began to animate a simple walk cycle, um, and it was kind of going to turn out, but um, then spring break ended, so I haven't really gotten back <laughs> to that yet. Yeah. Um, let's see. Back... When I, you know, because I, I think I explained all this to you in email, but when I started my new job, I wasn't getting nearly as many hours as I was expecting, and so money was real tight for a little bit there. So I had to get rid of my internet, and so I would just use the Wi-Fi when I was at work. So I had to look at all your stuff on my phone, which of course is not as nice as my big computer monitor at home. So, oh, so now I'm just pulling up that animation you did with the balls going through the ring, and I see there's a little slit in the top, and there's actually strings holding the balls. I thought they were just moving on their own. Huh. Yes, yeah. So I, I could talk about that one right now. I did just send you a link to the folder on Google Drive. So whenever you get that, you can pull that up. And those are basically all the projects I've worked on so far. Um, but, yeah, I could talk about the, the, the ball swing animation right now. Yeah. So, yeah, so the ball swing animation, what that is is um, it, it's actually only, um, it actually only goes for one cycle. And that's just repeating itself infinitely. Hmm. So what it is is, um, it, it is it's just the two balls as you see. Um, one of them swings, I guess, horizontally, and the other, or I'm sorry, one swings left to right, and the other swings backwards and forwards. Um, mm -hmm. And and that was just a uh, a simple animation. I think this entire animation only loops for a couple seconds. Um, but really, you, that was pretty simple. It was just a keyframe. Uh, for, for each of the balls, it was just a keyframe at its high point on either side of the swing. Okay. And then uh, using a curve, uh, instead of making that linear, which would look very uh, fake, I guess, if you will, um, mm -hmm. I was able to use a curve to smooth that out so that it slows down at each high point. So it oh. actually looks like it's swinging. Yeah, okay. So, so that was one of the tricks with the animation there. And then um and then yeah, just for like I guess the visual aesthetics of it, um it the ring has that little slit in the top. So mm -hmm. it's it's supposed to look like it's possible yet slightly impossible because it's so perfect. Mhm. Mm um and then the ring uh the ring just rotates a full 360 <laughs> degrees. And uh, it actually really worked nicely getting these the timing to line up right if you're working with um, like 30 frames per second as opposed to 24. Uh, just because I think, let's say the entire animation is, I don't know, maybe four seconds long. So that's 120 seconds. So as one ball swings down, you, you can just easily see and uh, kind of split that up by 30-second marks or something. Mm. Um, and so that really makes it easy to get it all lined up. But, um, yeah, there really wasn't a whole lot to that. 
um, and it just it looks it looks fun. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Let me go back and now and see if I can find the other. I have them all here somewhere. There we go. Oh, couldn't preview. Problem playing the video. Oh, that's the water animation one. Hmm. Um, you say that's on Google Drive? Yes, I just oh, emailed a link. Did you get that? Yeah, here we go. I was in Google Drive trying to find it, but uh, I got your link. Okay. Oh, what's this bottle animation? I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was interesting. Um, that I one does not loop. I clicked on it, and it went away. You might need to try downloading it to view it. Um, let's see. <laughs> I just opened the... Uh, the tiger animation it looks quite different on the uh, home computer are you uh, not to insult your work are you familiar with the uncanny valley <laughs> yes very much I, so i think i think he just woke up <laughs> in the wrong side of the uncanny valley <laughs> oh you're so right yeah the eyes yeah just everything yeah it's um it, it's very beginner artwork let's just say yeah yeah nothing wrong with that i certainly couldn't do any better myself um i think it's it's just i think the proportions are just a little bit off and the the it's like you know you, if you're familiar with the uncanny valley the it's so close to reality but it's just not quite right um so it's like almost flawless but not quite so which is why i think i uh in the email i think i I don't remember it. Um, I don't remember the words I used, but I was thinking like if you're in a museum and they have like the preserved animals there mm. in like different poses and and set up in scenes. Th this is kind of what it makes me think of. Yeah. Um, poorly done taxidermy falls into the uncanny valley. And if you ever watched uh, Vsauce's video about uncanny valley, he talks about that's why we don't do taxidermy on people because they just don't look quite right. Like, you know, if we wanted to try to preserve somebody. That's interesting. I'd never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't look <laughs> right. Whereas usually, you know, animals, you don't usually know their, you don't know them as well as far as their muscle structure, their face and stuff like that. So they just look like an animal. And their mm -hmm. fur hides a lot of the imperfections, so they can look more natural if you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. So, yeah, I, you know, I... For the uh, for the listeners out there, I do taxidermy as a hobby, and uh, some of my uh, original, <laughs> my first pieces definitely <laughs> fell into the uncanny valley. They're not right. But some of my later ones turned out better. Um, how do I find the, the jar animation? Because I look at all the other ones, but the jar animation disappeared on me. Uh, oh, and water animation is not showing up on here either. Are you looking in the Google Drive folder? Yeah. Um, I may have missed uploading the water animation, hmm. but um, there are two. There's there's a bottle animation, and then there's one called Golden Blobs. <laughs> I saw that one. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, you saw the animation, right? Like with them kind of sticking near the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th there was actually an issue with that. Um, again, this was, this is like a simulation, so 
like obviously I didn't animate every single one of those little balls falling. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like told the computer like obey the laws of physics, and it was supposed to do everything for me. And I hit the render button, and I went to bed, and I woke up, and it wasn't quite right. Um, and the problem was I figured out later that jar that I had made. This is gonna get a little technical into how Blender works, I guess, but the the jar I made it from uh, a single. I started off with a single circle, um, and then I just built it upwards to give it sides and and, and make it look like a jar. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem was, it was only it was like infinitely thin if you will so picture paper it was a jar made yeah. of paper but okay. it, it had no thickness mm-hmm. and there's a modifier you can apply to give something thickness because this is a a legitimate valid way to create objects is doing this and then applying a a a modifier that that gives it thickness mm-hmm. well the problem was i had never actually applied the modifier it was only it was only like there in the queue it, it was still it looked like it was applied, but it wasn't actually applied. And so the, that's why those balls were getting stuck at the top is it was they were essentially getting stuck inside the surface of the jar. Huh. Okay. Um, so they weren't originally intended to stick? No, they were meant to meant to all fall in, and uh, some, some would bounce out. But no, they weren't meant to stick there at the opening. Okay, because I was looking at it, so it looks like they stick to the glass, but they don't stick to each other. Yeah, yeah. So the glass was the only problem there that that was using the the modifier to give it thickness that didn't work out. Huh. Okay. I was just trying to figure out like what kind of, and I guess if that was the error that explains it, but I was thinking like what kind of a surface did you give the balls to make them stick? Did you make them like have like a a tar like consistency that they would stick to each or to the glass or or what but if it was just an error then that makes sense yeah just an error unfortunately and i actually mm. do have the original project still so and i did fix that i just haven't re-rendered it since like i said it, it does take all night to render that <laughs> yeah All right, I'm going back and trying to find the water animation and see if I can just download it and view it that way. So how did you do that then? Do you start off with like just a blob of water and tell it where to hit, where to drop from? Yeah, pretty much. So uh, again, that was another uh, physics simulation. Um, <laughs> I was having a lot of fun with experimenting with the simulation stuff. Um, there, there's some really cool things you can do, and uh, there's some really neat, neat uh, simulated things you can find online that, that are done with 3D software and Blender, all of it. Um, it's really cool. Um, unfortunately, the simulations are what really take a long time to render um, yeah. because it, it's all simulated, right? Um, so, yeah, so with the water simulation, really... Um, the way it works is you can create an, an object that is an emitter, so it emits water, and you can tell it when to stop emitting water. Um, I think I think I told it to stop after like the first second or so. Um, and so you have one object that's an emitter. You have another object that's called the domain, 
basically it's you can make it just a big box that that's where the water is going to be held um and it's even it's really strange actually because i think in the animation i sent you uh it you could see that it's an invisible box and that's the domain mm-hmm. you're seeing there did you um, give it a domain name <laughs> no i didn't this would be a great time to talk about our sponsor but unfortunately we don't have any yet. yeah yeah if we had a sponsor this would be a great transition if you uh if you're listening to this and you work for a domain.com you could you could uh talk to them about uh, becoming a sponsor anyway but carry yeah. on yeah um and that and that was really it you just tell it to obviously um that it that it's a, a type of water and you have the emitter, the domain, and then I placed a couple squares, cubes in there uh, just to show the water interacting. Uh-huh. Um, and then and then there was actually a final detail. Uh, you can add um, particles for, like, water droplets and kind of emulate, like, sea foam. Yeah, uh, Which I've is been a really that. cool detail. Um Mine did not turn out very good at all. They just looked like little white BBs instead of they, actual. They look a little bit square and too much in a grid pattern, I think. But they, yeah. they definitely do add a lot to it, even even with that flaw. Yeah, uh, again, this is there's a lot of settings, but the problem is it takes so incredibly long to render the stuff mm. and even just view the playback in your editor. Um <laughs> That there's a process called baking, which is where you essentially um, bake the simulation where everything is just, it's just like data, it's just points, and then you bake it into mesh, and then give it that that uh, texture to make it look like water. But okay. um, yeah, there, there's a lot that could be improved, and I, I think can be easily improved, but yeah, the, ma- the major drawback is how long it takes to preview so if you don't want if you don't know what you're doing if you're just messing around like me it's gonna take a while to get it right yeah it still looks really really good and uh if you'd had this like just as a background as a lake or something like that or a waterfall you would never notice all those little things it would look just Mm -hmm. flawless and i'm looking at here where it hits the bottom of the the domain and it the water kind of has this little bit of a streak or ripple to it, and that's how real water falls like that. I, I don't know necessarily mm-hmm. what causes it, but it looks so real the way it's got those little ripples in it. It must maybe it's from coming off of that, uh, the ball you've got at the top, the emitter, I guess you called it. Mm-hmm. Um, it maybe the the textured surface on that is what the animation software is using as uh, a motivation for that. I guess ripple in the surface tension, but it just adds so much realism to it. Yeah, that's actually a good a good point um, because obviously there has to be some kind of randomness to to like, like generate these simulations. Um, you know, in the real world, we have all these different little factors. Maybe there's a tiny bit of wind. Maybe it's just you know there there are so many different factors, and yet. In a simulated environment, in like in Blender, you don't have those, but it must be doing something to provide that because I've noticed in the simulations I've made, they aren't quite perfect. Like if you bounce a ball directly on top of another, 
it eventually rolls off to one side. How does it know which uh-huh. side to roll off to? Yeah. So it, it has to be doing something internally to, uh, like, like handle that. Um, and I also noticed, too, that your water that's falling uh, ends up going slightly off to the left. It doesn't fall exactly from center, and I think that also adds a lot of realism to it. I'm just trying to figure out what exactly is motivating it to do that is there supposed to be a wind causing that or is it does it have something to do with the, the column below it you know hitting the uh the block next to it that's causing it to deform to the side or what's causing that you can actually add um different effectors like wind uh i, I think they're called force fields um that that can generate forces and simulate wind I didn't have any in those animations, um, the the water simulation that I sent you, uh, and I actually haven't experimented with those a whole lot yet. I think I tried, but I, I couldn't get it quite right. Um, so yeah, I, I really have no idea what would cause some of those little bits of randomness you see, and and the way yeah. it affects. Yeah, I, there I, are I, actually. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think it just makes it look so much more real to have those little things, and I, you know, if you look at early animation of like you know back in the 90s or whatever there things did look too perfect and that's why Uh things looked fake yeah and um there are all kinds of uh, settings just for the fluid as well like you can um you can set the viscosity which is super cool they have some presets Uh, i think the three presets are water oil and honey um and uh there are some settings that you can tweak to uh recreate laminar flow which is awesome Um, (laughs) dustin would like that (laughs) and uh yeah yeah there's like there's a whole bunch of properties okay now my computer is stuck i tried going back and getting out of the animation after i downloaded it and now it has me in something called xbox video which of course i have no xbox so i don't know why that is showing up which video are you trying to watch? I watched the the water animation, and then I was trying to click back, and it wouldn't take mm. me back. Okay, there we are. Now I'm back to my desktop. I feel like an old lady using the internet for the first time ever. <laughs> <laughs> Usually I'm pretty good with this stuff, but every once in a while I get trapped in a window that I don't intend to be trapped in. Yeah, okay, there we go. There's the X button. All right. And did you animate anything else? Because you sent me that donut that looked pretty cool. I sent you the donut. Um, I actually sent in that Google Drive folder. I, I think I have like a couple different uh, stages of that. Uh-huh. Um, the teddy bear. The teddy bear was fun because uh, I, it, it, I must say it, it really doesn't look that realistic. And I was getting kind of tired of working on it, so I just stopped. But, um, and, and like you can see some of the seams have like jagged edges and it looks awful. But, uh, the, the teddy bear was neat in that, um, you can use, uh, materials to generate what's called a bump map, uh, which basically using the, um, you can either set it to use the, the, like the grayscale version of the material or the color version. I'm not sure how it how it works with the color version but basically it assigns a height to of the it, it, it assigns a height on the mesh uh to each 
um, color of the material, like e each pixel color uh, of the material. So let's say if you have a darker spot, um, it might lower that down or, or at least not raise it up. Um, and if you have a lighter spot on the material, it would extrude the mesh. Uh, and mm -hmm. so basically, if you have a material that looks like, in this case, it was just like a wool blanket texture, I think. Um, the, the rendered still doesn't show it very well, but if you were to zoom in close uh, or, or play with the model on the computer, you would see that it actually is... Um, it, it does have a 3D look to it, and the, the mm. lighter areas will be um, raised up a little bit and giving it like a more realistic texture. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've got it up right now, and I've got them zoomed in. And if, if you told me that this was a real picture of a bear, I would believe you. The, the bear itself looks very real, and the wall behind it. The only thing that really throws the image off is the floor and the, uh, the baseboard behind it. Yeah, there's like no crack. Yeah, yeah, and the uh, the baseboard behind it, you can kind of see where it, it the curve at the top is goes in steps rather than being a, a nice continuous curve mm -hmm. on the right side of the bear because on the left it's just blown out and you can't see that detail. And then the floor I think just looks a little too flat, but the bear and the wall are just <laughs> flawless. And you said the seams are a bit jagged. I think it just looks like somebody. You know, they just sewed it together, and that's kind of how the material stretched, or they weren't real careful about making mm -hmm. sure that the streams were perfect. So, it, to me, it just looks like somebody sewed it a little crooked. Um, so I noticed in the hands, the the uh, texture is a lot more coarse than like on his stomach or on top of his head. Is that because the the texture is stretched? Then it is. Yeah, that was one issue. Um, and you can even see that around his toes as well, uh, kind of mm -hmm. where that bottom pad. Uh, is a separate cutout. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That that was definitely an issue that made me kind of stop working on this because I couldn't get this sorted out. But um, really, if you think about it, the way his arms connect, they're they're smaller on the shoulders, and then and and then the paws, the ends of the paws are bigger. Mm -hmm. Well, if you try to wrap a uh, a single square around the arm. Um, it, it, it wouldn't go all the way around uh, on the larger section, but would connect on the smaller section. That's kind of what the material is. And so it had to stretch it. Uh, and I wasn't able to find a solution for that. Um, it, it has a little bit to do with where you place your seams and something called UV unwrapping. Um, it's That's just a technical term for... Basically, when you have a three-dimensional model and you want to apply a material to it, um, for example, in the in the case of the tiger, that was that's a little bit easier to uh, I guess I guess think about in that the tiger has different facial features and you want to give it the different stripes and the different spots where they belong, right? Um, mm -hmm. So basically, you have to take that 3D model and essentially cut it in different seams and unwrap it so that you can lie it flat down on t top of your texture. Um, and so it'd be very similar to if you were actually cutting the material and sewing it together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, like um, puppet making, for example, which <laughs> we know a little bit about. 
Um, so for the uh, for the listeners at home, Christopher and I each uh, do some <laughs> puppet work. We are both hobby filmmakers, and early on, we couldn't find anybody, and we still have trouble finding anybody to act for us and be, and be actors in our films. And so we went the route of puppets because then we could do the acting ourselves. Um, so we uh, we do Muppet style um, short films, I guess. So uh, yeah, we we each built our puppets from scratch, so we uh, know a thing or two about. Uh, cutting fabric to fit the right shapes so as you were saying yeah well that's pretty much it um it's really the whole idea of how do you get a three-dimensional shape how do you unwrap it into a two-dimensional uh you know outline pattern i guess if you will uh, yeah. to apply that texture properly and so that was one of the the things i kind of got hung up on there so that's why he also doesn't have eyes <laughs> i was gonna ask about I that i just stopped <laughs> <laughs> nice i i think making a teddy bear in real life would be a lot easier than trying to make one on the computer but uh unfortunately trying to make one on the or making one on the computer is uh, the best way to incorporate it into an animation or something so that's actually a really interesting point um i've been watching some blender tutorials to learn how to do some of this stuff um and uh one of the things that I heard someone mention is how common it is for uh, websites to no longer use actual product photography anymore. There, A lot of websites now use uh, just 3D renders, especially hmm. furniture websites, uh, those large pieces of furniture. Um, and you'll even see some... Uh, some websites will have like a 360 preview I guess, if you will, uh, where you mm. can use your mouse to look around an object. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, some of those I've seen on Amazon are definitely real. They're just like a, a turntable with yeah. a product on it. Um, but I, I know there's a lot of uh, imagery out there for, for products that are actually just 3D renders. Um, and they look great. You wouldn't really know. Uh, and it works really well for like a lot of the bigger products as well. Um, and, you know, if you're good at it, uh, I'm, I'm sure it can be done pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it just comes down to the where your skills lie, whereas for me, making the stuff in the physical world is a lot easier just because I don't have as much experience with uh -huh. uh, modeling stuff on the computer. But then also, I think, you know, if they have furniture, they can have a lot of presets already set up, and they can probably whip it out pretty fast. And then you have complete and total control over all of your lighting. You don't have to try to set up the lighting the way you want it, especially for a 360 shot. Yeah, and, you know, trying to rotate all that, and then you know, fill in the dark spots and get some higher higher dynamic range. So I've definitely seen stuff like that where I'm like, that's definitely not real. It's got to be a 3D <laughs> model because it looks just too perfect to be real. Yeah. Um, as, as since we're talking about rotation of stuff um, in the behind the scenes of Lord of the Rings, they were talking about the a miniature tower that they made. And they had to shoot the, the camera really up close. They used a really wide lens, but they were talking about how the lens was actually only about three inches away from the surface, which tells you how much detail they had to actually put into the surface. But they were talking about how they had to, in order to keep the lighting as bright as they needed it so it looks more natural, they had to actually have their their uh, key light move with the camera so it would fill in those dark spaces. And they still had some, I, I think, still some lighting to make it look like there was actually a, a solid light source, but just to fill it in and give it more dynamic range, they had to have their, their key light move with the camera, which was kind of interesting. 
Huh. That is, that does sound interesting. I've been, uh, you know, working with my uh, friends on that movie we want to make, um, mm-hmm. and I need a tower for that. So I want to make because I'm better at making stuff in the real world rather than animation. Uh, it would be a lot more convenient to animate it in this case, but we need a tower for that movie. So I want to actually build a miniature of it and stand probably. I'd like to build it as, you know, life-size, but I don't have room for that. So it'll probably <laughs> actually stand probably like three feet tall. And uh, I'm trying to think of all kinds of ways to actually get that into the computer so I can composite it into real shots. And uh, I was thinking it'd be cool to build a rig where I can swing the camera around in 360 and then also, you know, pretty much build a, a half a sphere of photos and stitch them all together. And then I can, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much move the camera so to speak wherever i want uh if i can get that sphere of photos into an editor somehow and then i'd have to the other problem is trying to get the background to move correctly with the uh the camera of the model um i guess they i guess that's yeah par- parallax and uh, which they talked about a lot in the behind the scenes how they had to do controlled camera moves and uh, they did in that movie, you know, they've got the regular people and then they've got, uh, you know, dwarves and hobbits, which are different sizes. The hobbits only stand about four feet tall, but they were regular sized, you know, five and a half, six foot actors that they had to actually scale down. And so a lot of times they would run through a shot with their, you know, regular size. I mean, each regular size actor, but they would do like one on a blue screen and they had to match the camera moves perfectly, but they had to scale it, the camera move for the smaller actor so that when you put the two shots together the camera move ended up being the same you know so wow. if the camera was moving in an arc they had to make you know make it the same arc uh so that when they when they scaled the actual uh you know the uh the hobbit actor down the camera arc would get scaled down to match the other one as well so that's, that's crazy oh there's all kinds of crazy stuff they did but i'm actually having to take some of that into consideration as i try to think about how to build this model like in trying to get the background to match and like i'm thinking you know it'd be nice to do kind of like a, a flyover shot with like a drone for example you know similarly like a helicopter flyover or a bird flying over or you know flying around the tower to kind of show the landscape around it but then i need to somehow get the drone to fly in you know, and I think a perfect circle would probably be the easiest to do because uh, I can match that easy enough with the camera. But trying to get it to fly in a perfect circle and track, you know, an, an actual center point with the drone would be very difficult. But, uh, you know, if I could build a rig to hold the camera, then I could do that with the miniature. So I'm trying to, trying to figure all this stuff out. And then that's going to take up so much room, too, to try to, you know, if it's if it stands three feet tall and I need the camera to you know, swing up and over the top or something. Mm-hmm. Just crazy, crazy. So if you have any ideas with that, definitely <laughs> let me know. It, it would probably be easier to just create the uh, the uh, tower as a 3D model. So that's why I'm interested in actually getting into 3D modeling. And now that I have my internet back, I uh, will probably, if I don't already have Blender, I'll probably download the latest version and try to start working on some stuff. Um, I'm, I was wondering too, cause you know, with those same friends, we had, uh, half jokingly talked about doing like, uh, an animation of like a, almost a comic series, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, with animated cartoonish characters and we would do voiceover for it. 
uh, which I think could be quite funny, but uh, I need to learn how to actually animate people and moving and their mouths moving and stuff. And it doesn't need to be, you know, like hyper-realistic. It can be like the old Scooby-Doo cartoons where, you know, not necessarily everything moves and like if they're running, the background just repeats itself <laughs> over and over. It can be just funny stuff like that. But have you done anything with uh, characters or anything like that or making anything just like cartoonish is it easier i have not well i have not in blender now i think what you're looking for is this new uh functionality that they actually just added to the latest version of blender which is called the grease pen but um just to make sure we're on the same page you're thinking like hand-drawn frame-by-frame animations yeah some it would look similar to that it doesn't have to necessarily look hand-drawn but just it's just simpler it doesn't have to look 3d necessarily right yeah so i think the grease pen in blender is what you're after i've not used it um but from what i've heard that is probably the route you'd want to go um i have used a um I, the name escapes me, but I think it was just a free uh, program, probably something I got on Linux several, I want to say like a year or two ago, um, that I have experimented with. I think I made um, like a little animation of a cat jumping. Um, it, it was just all hand-drawn. Um, it looked awful because I redrew every frame. Um, Did you hand-draw it on the computer or like on actual paper? No, I used a, um, I think I used our iPad actually, um, and drew it on there and then, and then saved each, uh, photo or frame, I guess. Um, and that worked, but I, I would probably look into the Blender Grease Pen because I think that's probably going to be pretty capable. Um, and definitely it, it, the new version of Blender did come out recently, so that would probably be something that could do what you're thinking. Okay. Now, is that just a tool in Blender or is that an add-on or how does that work? Cause I've never actually used Blender. Yeah, that, that is just a, a part of Blender. Um, similar to like video editing software, uh, DaVinci Resolve, for example, on how there are those tabs at the bottom for your workflow. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's a similar sense uh, in that Blender you'll find, I think they're at the top, um, different uh view layouts uh that are ideal for the different uh you know editing modes or modeling sculpting animating all those different modes and um i'm pretty sure there's one in there that can let you do the grease pen stuff okay um let me uh run and get a cup of water real quick if you don't mind i i know this is very unprofessional of me to, to leave in the middle of a podcast i, I was came, gonna i came prepared yeah. I see that. Uh, I so I went flying this evening, and for the uh, for the uh, the listeners nice. at home, I fly an ultralight uh, powered paraglider. So I went flying, and uh, I left the airport like slightly after seven, and I was like, "Oh, I'll get home with about twenty minutes to spare before we got to go online." And then uh, I got home, and and I looked at my clock, and it was seven forty nine, and so I was like, "Oh, I got to scramble and get ready to talk to Christopher." <laughs> so I was up until. You know, the, the minutes leading up to 8 o'clock, I was trying to get my uh, audio editor open so I could record the audio for the podcast. So let me put you on hold for a second, and I'm going to run and grab some water.
So I'm going to leave you alone with a mic <laughs> so you can say whatever you want. And so this is the part where I entertain the audience while Cody is getting a drink of water. Oh, hey, Link. Uh, for those of you who are just listening, uh, Link is actually in the background uh, behind Cody just sitting in a chair. I think he's actually paralyzed because he's not talking to me. Uh, either that or he's just like shocked or something. But hey, Link, how's it going? Yeah? Are, are you, wait, are, are you paralyzed? No, you're just tired. I see. He's sleeping with his eyes open. The problem is he doesn't have eyelids. Oh, Cody's back. I have to stop my nonsense. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm back. Link and I were talking. Oh, yeah? Do you have anything interesting to say? Uh, I think he's tired. He wasn't talking. (laughs) Um, I... He was sitting in a chair, and for the people at home, Link is my puppet. Uh, he was sitting in a chair off to the side, so I figured I'd move him back behind me for the show. And uh, he's got bad posture. He slouches when he sits, so I had to actually hold up his neck with a clamp on the back of the chair. Mm. Although I haven't talked to him in a while. He might be dead for all I know. <laughs> um, when I was grabbing my water, I grabbed my camera, too, because I got some photos of a uh, spider that was on my wall the other day and i got some cool side lighting so i'm gonna try to upload those while we're talking maybe i can send them to you Ooh, that sounds cool if they turned out that is okay um so what were we talking about i'm in the middle i'm trying to download blender as we speak Uh, I think you, you had been asking about the uh, the like the two D animation how how, we, how you would do that. Okay, yeah. Did we cover everything we were going to talk about there? Pretty much. I I really don't know too much about that part of Blender since I've just been doing like the three D stuff and the simulations. Okay. Um, I can definitely recommend um, a couple of YouTube channels if you do want to get into like Blender because really following tutorials at the start are really helpful because they'll teach you about the whole layout and where the buttons are and all that i um, i was listening to um bob claggett's um podcast called no instructions that he does with uh, josh somebody that works with him bob claggett being from the i like to make stuff channel and he was talking about how he likes to play video games sometimes which I have no care for video games, but this kind of applies because uh, he was talking about how he was playing and then he realized he needed to go back and relearn the con- actually learn how the controls work because he likes to just jump in and hit buttons. And that's kind of how I am with software. I like to just jump in and mess with stuff. And uh, I need to actually start with tutorials and learn how to do the buttons because uh, I'll make things a lot easier for me. I am definitely that type too. Like I will just jump in and, and uh, try to figure stuff out on my own. But I did um, kind of hold my back, hold myself back a little bit this time because I have done that with Blender before, and in previous versions of Blender, um, it was a lot harder to do stuff. There was a lot more stuff that was just keyboard driven. Mm. There weren't actual buttons uh, visible for you to click on. Um, but Blender 2.8 is a lot better about that. The user interface is a lot easier to use. Um, 
just a lot more friendly for beginners to get started. Okay, that's good, because I remember opening up an early version of it, but I could never really figure anything out. And I watched some tutorials, and it just looked so complicated just to get basic movements. I just kind of abandoned the project. It was. It was. It totally was. I was like, I tried that like several years ago with an old version of Blender, and, and it was really hard. It was daunting. That's why I just kind of gave up. Yeah. And I would love to keep doing more with it. It's just, it really, it's amazing how much time you can spend on it. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can sit there refining a model or like tweaking an animation for like hours. Yeah. And that's why, too, I think it'd be more fun to start with a more hand-drawn look because you're not necessarily going for 3D. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of just let it go after a while and it looks fine. You know, they always talk about how, yeah. how films are never finished. They're just abandoned because <laughs> uh, you can sit and yeah. tweak stuff forever so mm-hmm. i think that's how i would be with animations too so I, I think the hand-drawn look will give me more freedom to uh just make stuff and and have fun with it um uh, moving on i uh while i was uh, grabbing my water i grabbed this book that'll bring us to our our next topic oh i uh, found this at a thrift store once so it's perfect it's uh building a strip canoe which you have recently expressed interest in doing and which i've thought about doing for a long time but i just don't have space for it and uh one of the guys that i learned uh paramotoring from actually built one and i think he was a teen when he built one so uh i think that would definitely be a fun project so have you done any researching on uh strip built canoes not a lot outside of just watching YouTube videos. Um, I've watched a few. Uh, in fact, I even uh, went so far as to watch a uh, a dugout canoe, which is not the direction I'm going, but it was cool to watch. <laughs> I always wanted to make one of those when I was a kid because uh-huh. it seemed easy, but I don't think it is. <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, yeah, I was just watching some videos. I know I sent you the channel, um, and you said you had watched that guy's guitar builds as well. But uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, really, it seems like once you get the plans, um, then it's really you you set up the uh, sort of the cross section that you bend the strips across, mm-hmm. uh, and the strips run lengthwise. So it's not like uh, it's not like you need to do anything crazy with like heating up the wood and and using water and all that. Yeah, like bending too. a guitar side. Yeah. So it's nothing too crazy. Seems pretty manageable. Um, it was. It's just using that cross section, then you bend them across, um, secure them in place, and then cover it with uh, uh, the fiberglass on, on inside and out, um, and then seats, and you're done. Yeah, <laughs> it takes a lot longer in Easier real life. Easier said than done, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. So, you know, Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff does a, a another podcast called uh, Making It, and there's a guy in there named Jimmy DiResta, and he makes all kinds of crazy stuff, but he built one once, and uh, apparently there are two different kinds, and I'm sure there are more than that, but he's talking about how there's some where you use staples to actually hold the strips in place while you're doing the glue up, and then there's like a staple free. So I would, because you, you know, you, you, you staple everything in place while you're gluing it up. And then I think you just take all the staples out before you fiberglass it. But then there's a version where you don't use staples. And so I think you must just use clamps. And it seems like ratchet straps might work to help hold everything in place too. You know, as far as holding it against the form anyway. 
I'd actually seen something about that. Um, I wasn't sure for the uh, staple stapled version if you would actually be able to take those out once you glue them in, but I guess it does make sense. So I guess the downside with that would be the mark left in the wood, yeah, like the hole from the staple, yeah, which would definitely be unfortunate because they do look absolutely beautiful when they're done. Yeah, like you can do all kinds of different patterns and stuff. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I have seen I have seen like in the videos the uh, each strip will just get clamped down while they glue it. Okay. Um. Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, it's pretty much you know a strip boat canoe is building a canoe out of strips of uh, cedar, right? Mm-hmm. And you can of course get cedar in all kinds of different neat colors. Um. You know from reddish browns to almost white so there's all kinds of really neat stuff you can do with that and like i said i've i've kind of always wanted to do that but uh i just don't have room for it (laughs) is my problem (laughs) because you got to have a a space big enough to to set out an entire canoe and leave it there for you know a year or two or three or seven or ten or however long it takes you to (laughs) finally get around to finishing it but uh and then putting the, the fiberglass over the top, I think that would be fun. I think there are yeah. different grades of fiberglass. Um, I think there is actually like a marine grade that you can get. And, uh, you know, like the stuff I have is just for like auto body work or, you know, ba- I guess you could use it on, on really anything. But I think the marine grade stuff is probably better and more expensive. Interesting. Um Jimmy DeResta talks about the the brand uh, Total Boat. They make a lot of like epoxies and stuff. So there's, there's a company you might want to check out. Um, okay. And the stuff I have is made by Bondo. So yeah, it's a pretty. Yeah, I I'd, I've heard. Um, I hadn't heard about the marine grade um, fiberglass specifically, but I had heard that it's important to use some some marine grade finishes. Hmm. Uh, j- just when the whole thing is done. Uh, different sealants, I think, uh, to help waterproof everything, I guess. Yeah, and it's my understanding from a couple of videos I watched that you you want to kind of lay down a layer of the, f- the fiberglass resin first that kind of, I guess, soaks into the wood and uh, seals up the pores, I guess, and gives you a, a good surface to glue to, so to speak. And uh, once you have it all, like, pretty much, you know, painted, I think you would sand it then and then put on your actual fiberglass sheet along with your uh, um, resin to finish it up. Interesting. But I'm sure you'll you'll learn all that when you actually uh, start building one. But uh, if you do start building one, definitely let me know because uh, I think that would be really fun. You should, uh, you should make a video about it. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, I, I'm like really interested because I think it'd be a fun project, like a longer project that I can just work on whenever I want. And also, we have a small lake, so <laughs> you know, it kind of works out. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, I wonder what the weight of a a strip boat canoe is compared to like a plastic or an aluminum one. Do you know anything about that? That's a good. That's a good question. I don't know, but I do know that um, just about all of them I've seen um, built with uh, that middle um, support, I guess, uh, in the middle with the shape cut out 
to go around your neck yep. so that you can carry it above you. Mm-hmm. So I would assume it's I would assume it's pretty manageable. Okay. Yeah, I th- I think I asked one of the guys that I learned paramotoring from uh if his was heavy and he said it it wasn't uh I don't remember if they said it, you know, compared to like an aluminum canoe, but it seemed like it was pretty manageable, so my fear if I built a strip boat canoe is that it would be done and it would look so good and then I wouldn't want to actually take it out for fear of scratching it against something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. My uh, grandpa on my dad's side built a canvas canoe. So the interior is built with, uh, I don't know if it's spruce or pine or what, but it, it's like a frame built out of wood and then they stretch canvas over it and paint it. I think that would be very similar to how, like, old uh, cloth airplane wings were done, canvas airplane wings. So, hmm. it's, yeah, so it's built out of canvas, and uh, we had it out, like, twice. But the problem is, being canvas, you had to watch out for every little stick or thing that might be in the water that would poke a hole in it. So Ooh. we've uh, taken it on the water, like, twice, and then it's like, nah, that's too much, too much work to watch out for all the little sticks. So we'd rather just take our plastic kayaks where we can run into anything, and it uh, won't hurt it. That's like a good point. I wonder how uh, how damaged the bottom of the the canoe would get just pulling up on shore. You know, all the little rocks. Oh yeah, especially because <laughs> if you don't have somebody in the water lifting up the back end, usually you just drag it up on shore. Man, yeah. that would really mess up your finish. Yeah. Can you actually hold that thought while I just go tell my parents I'm still recording? Sure. Yeah, you can say whatever you want while I'm gone. I would I'll never even take off my headphones. I would never do that. I don't know what you're talking about. I am back. I didn't say a word. <laughs> I figure we can just throw in one of those little music inserts like they do on NDQ. <laughs> yeah, just show that they're transitioning. Yeah. Some uh some elevator music. Oh yeah, we need to come up with a, an intro, intro That's and outro right. music. Um, a little bit ago, NDQ put up their all their little music bits uh, for their patrons back when I was on Patreon, mm-hmm. and before before I switched jobs and didn't have money for that sort of thing anymore. <laughs> and so they put them up as ringtones. So I downloaded all of those. Oh, that's neat. So, yeah, and uh, actually, I was kind of hoping that we would do this over the phone today. I'm I'm glad we actually ended up going with Skype. But uh, you were the first person, and probably one of maybe two, that I have a custom ringtone for right now. And I was actually going to – I was thinking about switching it to the uh, the NDQ music, but I still have it as uh, the Wing to Sars song. Oh, can, can, I, can I call you right now so I can hear it? Yeah. I've actually wanted to hear it too because you've never called me since it, it's, uh, since I switched it. Except that one time that we were trying to get together in California, and uh, I had my phone on silent. Oh, when you were going around, driving around, waiting for me? Yeah, at the airport. That was Um, such a good time. Oh, it was. (laughs) Oh, here we go. I I can call your mobile phone now. Okay. We're going to get a copyright strike when this rings. There it is. 
I was holding it up to my uh, road mic, and then I realized you can't hear through that one. That one's just recording to the. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love it to the DAW. Um, I declined your call. That's uh, I think that's the first time I've ever declined a call <laughs> like that. Um, my thought when I was switching into that was. Uh, Either I'm going to be listening to music and it'll start playing and I'll just think it's part of the music, like it just went to the next song, which happened to be Winged Us Ours, and I'll miss a call from you. Not that you ever call me, but uh, there was that fear. And then the other fear is when the, when the song comes on, it's such a good song, I'm just going to want to uh, keep listening to the song and not answer the phone. How do you spell that, the last word, SARS? Uh, I think it's H-U-S-S-A-R. Yep, there it is. I I, I got to find it now because it is really good. I bought their entire album that that song is on shortly after <laughs> that episode. So <laughs> I have a physical copy of it's it. It's so good. Tell me about your uh, taekwondo and uh, slash martial arts. That's a great idea. Um, I'm actually still trying to get to the list. But, uh, yeah, I can talk about that. Um, yeah, so... We began our Taekwondo journey um, at the start of the spring semester. So we've been doing it for a couple months now. Um, yeah, so basically, uh, we just, um, they actually started, the interesting thing with the way they do lessons is they, there isn't like a start and end date for any of their lessons, and you don't have to start at level one and well well you do in a sense but we just walked in and we're like okay you know we're here we're back for the spring semester we want to start classes and uh they have different blocks they meet tuesdays and thursdays um from like 4 to 8 p.m and they have different one hour sessions for different general broad levels of your skill the different belt levels um but we are thrown in with like um Yellow belts, which are, they're actually only a couple belts above us, but still, they're not the same level we are, which is interesting, but we're still all taught the same, um, the same basic stuff. Um, some of the higher belts just might get taught a little more or be expected to be a little more perfect, I guess, on their form. Um, but it's really neat. Um, we see it was about a month ago i want to say uh that we progressed to our next belt which is uh we started off white belt now we're i guess white belt decided i think is what it is which is like uh, what are all the different colors so it starts off at white belt hang on while i just google this real quick (laughs) but really i can talk about this hang on There, there are a bunch of... It's interesting because all the different martial arts use, like, belts, but they mean different things. And there are different, like, uh, ranks as you go up. So, and and also I should mention that we're doing it through ATA, which is American, American Taekwondo Association. You can do it through different, different associations. Um, they have their ups and downsides. We just went with what was local, but... You generally want to stick to one association because they will teach things slightly different or their system or progression might be slightly different. But So it, you start off at white belt, 
you go to yellow, orange, green, purple, blue, brown, red, black, and there are more, and obviously black. Once you get to black, you can't go any higher, so you have degrees. So black, uh, black is just a combination of all the colors put together. Yeah, pretty much, if you want to think about it that way. <laughs> I, I just kind of realized that. Unless you're talking about light, in which case you should be a white belt. Yep. And, uh, but yeah, you have degrees once you get to black belt. And uh, our instructor, he's been teaching for, I think, around 35 years, which is crazy long. Yeah. Um, but I think he's a sixth degree black belt. Uh-huh. Um, and if you want to put that into perspective there was i believe there was only one tenth degree black belt ever i believe <laughs> um and uh-huh. it was actually awarded to him after he died i think but uh yeah. posthumously is that the word yeah something like I've, that uh, I've but never yeah had um reason to use that word so i thought it'd be fun to throw in there but carry on <laughs> but yeah basically um i'm actually looking at a chart and they have uh they have yellow coming after white but uh at our school, it it's orange than yellow, so that's interesting. But uh, and yeah, and there's also do they, um, do they I wasn't paying attention. Do they follow the colors of the rainbow? No. No. Hmm. No, they have red second to black. Huh. Okay. Anyway, sorry to but interrupt. But anyway, again. <laughs> yeah, the progression, the belt progression, isn't like super important. I, I guess if if you're just thinking about what Taekwondo is. So essentially we're taught um so we have a form that we are required to learn as part of our um I guess I guess as part of our level. So as a white belt we learn the Songham one form. Um which is just a set of different moves they could be kicks they could be punches they could be blocks they could be any of that and i'll get to weapons too in a minute but um and then now we're learning the song ham uh two i believe it is uh it's got a fancy name that i can't pronounce um but again it's just a different set of moves and there are a few new moves in there too um but really that that's what it is uh, back when we were actually meeting in person uh, at the at the class, um, we would do different drills. We would we would practice our form, uh, just like practicing free in the air, like punching the air, all that. Um, Shadow boxing. D- yes, and uh, and then we would also practice against a bag. Um, so there was like that aspect to it. Um, we they also kind of teach us it's supposed to be a a practical uh practical course basically so we also have learned some different self-defense stuff um uh you know how, how to get out when you're on the ground and you have someone on top of you and um you know how, how to take someone to the ground if you need to stuff like that um and then also weapons so in as a white belt we just learned the short stick um really basic moves we just learned our nine lines which are um basically slashes um it's kind of like drawing an x in the air um a couple times um is basically what it is 
uh, we learned stuff like how to roll our sword, um, or short stick, um, and, uh, and that was pretty simple, um, now we're learning nunchucks, they have a fancy name, but they're basically nunchucks, um, we learn so it's, is it similar is moves it, and twirling. It, is it nunchuck or is it numchuck? Because people pronounce it differently, and I've seen it written both ways on the internet, so I don't know which one's right. That's a good question because I only hear it spoken. I don't think I've seen it written. Huh. So, so I actually don't know on that. Huh. Because, <laughs> like I said, I've seen it written both ways on the internet because people just write about stuff and they have no idea what they're talking about, and somebody will come on and correct them, and then they'll argue about who's right. <laughs> That sounds very accurate. <laughs> but anyway, carry on. Yeah, so basically you have um, like the sequence of moves that you learn, um, mm-hmm. the weapons training for each of the different weapons, and then some self-defense thrown in there. Um, and that's really that's what's made up our, uh, our Taekwondo lesson so far. And um, really there's, um, I guess one of the biggest things is... Uh, an emphasis on um, doing each of the moves. There's a big emphasis on using your hips for power, um, hip rotation when you're mm. punching or kicking. A lot of that. Um, a lot of emphasis on being stable, and uh, you know if you can do it slow, you can do it fast. Um, yeah. Really refining the moves, um, getting the right technique down. Um, there's a lot of equal and opposite reaction force theory. Um, that if you're if you're punching with one hand, you want to pull the other one back into the the ready position. Mm. Um, there's just a lot of that, um, and as as lower ranks, we're not really expected to have that down. It's something that we're gonna get better at. Um, but as you level up, you're expected to put more more emphasis on the the critical critical aspects like that. So okay. even if you're doing the same thing, you're just expected to be able to do it better. Mm-hmm. I just did a quick Google search here, and um, it seems the majority of them have it spelled an N as in Nora instead of an M as in Mary. Nunchuck. Okay. So Nunchuck, if, yeah. If I can just remember that for the next time, I need to know. Um, so my question about that is, uh, what value is there in learning how to use a nunchuck? Cause when are you actually going to have one at your disposal <laughs> when you need it? I really don't know. And honestly, it's not been my favorite weapon. Um, simply They seem because... like you'd be easier to hurt yourself than anybody else with them. <laughs> okay. That, that, that's, that's a serious, that's a serious thought of mine. Um, do you want me to actually jump up and get mine right now? Sure. I can show you. Sure. Okay. I'll be right back. I uh, noticed you took your headphones with you this time. And I can say anything I want to you because you can't say anything back because you don't have a microphone. I'm back. <laughs> and yes, I heard everything you said. <laughs> so this is our training uh, short stick um, it's just a soft it's it's about two and a half feet long maybe yeah it looks like uh, um, probably a, like a, a night like a night stick or a baton short stick for the really. uh, viewers um, at home it's got a handle uh-huh. um, we can do basic twirls okay 
So um, is that something that's the, actually useful? Th- that I would definitely argue is not useful. <laughs> I mean, unless you're just trying to intimidate your enemy, which I would totally be intimidated by. If someone just came up and did like an amazing twirl demonstration in front of me, I would totally be intimidated. <laughs> there is something to be said for that, yeah. <laughs> and then that also brings me to the nunchucks, which again are just... They look like a toy. They're just foam practice nunchucks. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, the thing I the thing that I find weird about these is how, with a short stick or sword, you know where it's going, right? With this, you have you have a connection here that is leaves a lot of randomness in it. Yeah. You know, I mean. You could practice with this all you want, but like, there's still, there's still randomness happening on the other side of the nunchuck. Yep. But uh, let's see. I don't know if I can do this on camera, but this is one of the the uh, the twirls that they teach us. Are you switching them from hand to hand, or uh, switching handle to handle? Yeah. So it's just. Let me try to do this on camera. So it's just, you, you can do it either around your waist or up and down your arm. It's just like this. Sorry. Okay. Can you see? Yep. It's just the hand goes from the top of one around the string to the other and You're back. frozen up. Okay. Let me know when you can see me. Can you, you see me? Back. Now you're frozen again. Uh-oh. Okay, now you're unfrozen. <laughs> okay, so you can see me now. Yes. Okay, good. So, yeah, so it's just holding near the top. And you're froze again. And then your hand just rotates back and forth. So you don't hold the other side correctly. So it, it's it's not like you can switch it from one side to the other and be able to use it because now it's like upside down. So yeah. it's just a rotation back and forth. And if you if you do it like around your waist, um, your waist kind of blocks one side uh, so that it can actually like complete the rotation and you can do it without it falling out of your hand. It's kind of cool. Okay. I don't think it's practical and I don't think I would ever want to use nunchucks in a fight, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. It's fun though. I mean, all all the uh, all the twirls and the flares. It just makes it look fun and and feel feel fun. Yeah, whether it's and, practical or not. And I think probably some of that stuff does have a practical effect, even if you don't know what it is right away. Later on, it might add more nuance to your fighting that you uh, maybe don't realize. That's very true. Yeah, stuff that we're not being taught yet. with the coronavirus thing we're like all working from home and like my school is online and whatever so it's like there's like no reason why we couldn't just pack up our stuff and just like go travel anywhere right now yep like because everybody as long as we have internet you know we can work and like yeah yeah you should come up here yeah we should 
they I don't know what it's like in your state, but they uh, extended our shutdown of non-essential businesses till May 26th. I haven't been keeping up. Yeah, I used I, to I used to like check the numbers every day, but now it's just like same old same old. Yep. And I wasn't keeping up at all either, but uh I was talking to the other day I was at the airport. I was planning to go flying. I was talking to John Glenn. I, I don't know if you ever met him, but he's the guy I bought my original paramotor from, and he was telling me that they extended it because otherwise I wouldn't have known. But, yeah, for us, nothing – well, for me, nothing has really changed other than that I can't go to certain stores that I want to go to, like the thrift store, because it's not essential. But otherwise, you know, they still have drive throughs open at restaurants and Walmart's still open so I can still get whatever I need. And uh, at the D.C., we're just as busy as ever. Um, when the, the whole toilet paper rush started, you know, normally uh-huh. we, we would get orders from the store and we would hand fill those. You know, we'd go to the, the slot and we'd pick however many of each brand it'd tell us to pick. And then as soon as that toilet paper rush started, the hand picking stopped and they just started shipping entire pallets full of toilet paper. <laughs> Wow. They would get off the delivery truck and go right on the shipment truck. That's that's really interesting. So, like, was that is that the only thing you've seen change, or has well, there been like any other changes in the products? I guess that you're distributing. The uh, well, the, the problem is I've only been there for eight months, so I don't necessarily have a good grasp on what yearly cycles are like. Um, I noticed that we started selling a lot more canned goods, but I also noticed that an uptick in that canned goods and baking products like flour and sugar, but I noticed an uptick in that right before like, uh, Halloween or Christmas or Thanksgiving too, not necessarily Halloween, but Thanksgiving and Christmas. And that uptick I noticed right before Easter. So I don't know if it was caused by COVID-19 or by, uh, uh, just that Easter was coming up and people were going to be baking more stuff, even though they weren't necessarily going to be able to have as many potlucks and visiting as much as normal. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So otherwise, toilet paper is the only thing I noticed. Yeah. We actually just went uh, shopping the other day at Costco and um, we don't go out like a ton, but we have gone shopping like once every, I don't know, week to two weeks just for a small shopping run. And uh, we were at Costco the other day, and um, they have, like, a whole line, like, a roped-off line place for you to wait in line outside. Because they only let in, I think it's 25 people into the building every X number of minutes. I, I don't remember exactly how many. But uh, it, it's just really it's really crazy. And they have um, – I didn't go in, um, but they have – apparently they have it roped off inside. So that they can try to make people only go in one direction, yeah. so that there's no never. Because you can you can keep your distance one way pretty easily, but when you have people passing, it's just it's it's a mess. So they try to make it so that yeah. you can go through in only one direction, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, at the Walmart here, they uh, they have it roped off where in the entryway you're supposed to go in one side of the you know, the doors and then out the other side. Um. But then in the store, you can go wherever you want. And they they have signs saying that they're only going to allow a certain number of people in at a time. But every time I've been there, there's it's been so slow that they just let people in and out. There's no problem, no, no delay. At work, though, and I think a lot of this is just ridiculous, but 
Uh, I think a lot of it is just to make it look good. But they uh, they started everybody that comes in the building has to have their temperature taken, and they just use like a little infrared thermometer or whatever that they point at your forehead. And if you're over a hundred, then they send you home. Uh, if you have a fever, because mm-hmm. they don't want to risk it being COVID. And then uh, they just started the other day. Now everybody's got to wear face masks, even though we don't really come that close to each other. And the idea is so that if you have it, you don't spread it to somebody else. It's not to protect you from somebody else. Um, right. Because, you know, just those simple face masks are not going to stop the air and germs from coming into you. It's more from preventing spit from getting out. Um, but those are super annoying because, you know, we're doing heavy physical labor for 11 hours and it gets so hot under those masks. So uh, most people just just pull them down and kind of kind of put them back up when they get near somebody. Um, and everybody's fine with that. The thing I noticed is like, I would have it on sometimes and I come up to somebody to talk to him and I'd take it off so that I could, you know, I could talk to them more clearly. Like, whoop. and I, you know, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just like, <laughs> I'm pulling the mask down so they can see my mouth and hear me more clearly. <laughs> and that was the exact time it was supposed to stay on, but uh, nobody had any problems with it. So, yep. And then huh. uh, in the, in the break room, they moved all of the, the, tables and chairs apart six feet that's funny because you'll go in there and you'll see like four people sitting at the same table it's like well you did nothing there they're still sitting together <laughs> but they moved everything six feet apart and they've got uh a little you know the one walkway they had they broke it into two sections now with a, kind of a two by four frame that they've just put like plastic wrap along so you can't cough at anybody next to you that sort of thing so i think a lot hmm. of it's a kind of extreme but yeah at least I still have a job. Dad yeah. Dad is off until at least May 4th, I think, right now. So I guess he qualifies for unemployment so he can still get that income. But, you know, they're just pretty much shut down where he was working. Oh, now, where was he working again? Uh, at uh, American Axle Manufacturing in Breedsburg. And I think they were considered a uh, an essential job, but just that business is so slow now. They've just started right. <laughs> putting, you know, laying people off, so to speak. I mean, you still got a job once business kicks back up again. But yep. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So my dad works for like healthcare collections stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of directly related in a way. Um. Because, like, now, you know, people are, well, they're they're not going to the hospital for things that aren't, you know, urgent or, like, any, I guess, I don't know what the word is. But, yeah, like, they're they're really only going if it's imminent or if they have COVID-19, right? And also, they're also don't want to be, they also don't want to be seen as the bad guy. They are calling someone who is already struggling financially, and now they're like, "Oh, now this healthcare company is calling me to pay my bills." And like, so it's just interesting some of the strategic management stuff. Yeah, yep, yeah. That's gonna be gonna be a mess when this is all over, and they're trying to collect for people that went in during all that. Well, if you've made it this far in the episode, you probably need to seriously consider getting a life, but we do thank you for listening. Even though the title of this episode was Please Don't Listen to This Episode, 
we would like to thank you for listening anyway. Um, you know, it was a pretty rough episode, but uh, things can only go up from here. So tune in uh, next week or uh, whenever the next episode gets released to hear more of us wittering. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.